But nevertheless, God is good. I got a message the Lord laid on my heart, and uh, I want to preach it to you the best I can. Uh, it's a message about our responsibility to others. If anything Jesus did, he taught us in his word and throughout his word that other people are important. And when we really get where Jesus wants us to be, they will be more important than we ourselves. And he proved that in Gethsemane. And he had to do that. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he went to the cross. But he had to be willing to go to the cross. And he prayed three times. And he prayed so hard that his blood, his sweat became his great drops of blood. But he ended every time those three prayers. And they weren't just a couple of minute prayers. He prayed, not my will, but your will. And I really believe if we can reach the place in our lives that all of us, I'm talking about myself, I'm talking about the church world as a whole, that we can truly say, not my will, but your will. I can assure you one thing, if we do it, things will change. We'll see a different church working throughout this world today. Uh, I want to read you a story, and I'm going to take a text from it. It's something I, I preached on this story one time. It's not the same sermon, but necessarily, but about 2006. And if I'd put a title on it, it would be, Does God Live Here? And this, let me read it to you. This is a true story, probably somewhere in the 50s, maybe 40s, when communities uh, lived in little towns and people walked to church. They didn't drive, have to drive 50 miles or whatever. They just walked to their churches. And uh, let me read it to you. It said, And many years ago I read a story about a young man who had asked a pastor of a church a question that should be asked of every pastor, preacher, and every church, and of every Christian. This is a true story. One Sunday morning before church started, a, a small boy, poorly dressed, was sitting on the steps of a church in his neighborhood. As the congregation began to enter for worship, no one spoke to the child or asked him, what are you doing? There was just, they would just walk by him as if he did not exist. The pastor, who was running a, a little late, saw the young child and said unto him, what are you doing here? What are you doing out here, son? And he answered, my dad has lost his job, and he's out of town looking for work. My mother is sick in bed, and there's no food in our house, and me, my mother, and my little sister are very hungry. I once heard that God helps people like us. Someone said, this was the house of God. And I was wondering, can you tell me, does God live here? It said that with tears, the pastor picked him in his arms, picked him up in his arms and, and said, I don't know, son, but we're going to go inside and find out. 
And you know, sometimes we need to ask ourselves that question, does God live in here? Or does he just visit us every once in a while? Does he just pass by? Do we just invite him ever so often? When he comes to church with us, of course, he's here. I, I know all that. Holy Spirit's everywhere. But I'm talking about being obedient to him. Do we get in a hurry to get him out of the house where we can get out of the house too? We talk about wanting Pentecost in our life, but I'm going to tell you, Pentecost takes up time. It's not getting out of here at 15 minutes to 12 where you can beat, as one pastor said, beat the Baptist to Bonanza. But I'm here to tell you, I, I want God to move in our church. Not for me. I want God to move in our church where we can reach out and help others. Does God truly and fully live here in our hearts? We need to ask ourselves that question. I've asked myself that question while I've been studying this. Does he have complete control? You may disagree with me, but if he don't have complete control, he don't have control. If you don't blame me, drive your car down through there and don't have complete control, next thing you're going to find yourself running over somebody or something. To me, this, this was a very touching story. I, I, I read it probably back in the 80s. <clears throat> but sometimes we walk by people in need and just walk by. Did this, did this particular church have God in it? Well, my first impression, it didn't. And probably my right impression, it didn't because nobody said anything to the child. They just walked by. Did the preacher got there and he saw him, picked him up, carried him in. The store didn't say what happened. And I guess it was good that it's left open. Because this is a story for us today. What are we going to do? Does God live here? You're going to have to forgive me because I've been praying a lot. Does God live here? Does He live in our hearts? Now, this is the house of God. And I've heard different debates on it, but I'm going to give you a scripture, okay? 1 Timothy 3, 15. But if I tarry long, Paul said, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and the pillar and the ground of truth. The Bible tells us that these bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Listen, stop just a moment. We read that and we say, yeah. But think what it says. The Holy Spirit of God is in us. As unworthy as we may be. 
But through the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ, he allows the third person of the Holy God, a third person of God to live in our lives and to fill our lives. How privileged we are. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? Hello? When I surrendered to Jesus, I don't own myself anymore. I don't belong to me. I belong to him. And I can certainly say since I've done that and since you've done that, you know your life is better. But that's not what it's all about, making our lives better. It's also making other people's lives better and reaching out and helping people. So I really think it's a legitimate question today for us to ask ourselves, does God really live here? Is he, is he really here? You might disagree with me this morning, some things I'm going to say, but that's your privilege. There are several examples in God's words I could use, and uh, I, I chose the Good Samaritan. I think he's our best example of helping people. And this parable is the best example of a lot of preachers and a lot of church people. So I'm not preaching to you today to condemn you. I want you to understand that. I'm preaching today to encourage you, to get you and me to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on the needs of this world. Because whether you believe it or not, we are the ones that God has chosen to do it. it if it's not done by us, it will not be done. And the devil's greatest trick in the world sometimes is to get us so involved in ourselves that we not only not help other people, but we don't see to help other people. Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and, and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit the eternal life? That's the greatest question in the world. And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor is thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Here we are. Now listen, this is us. In many cases in our life. But he willing to justify himself. We're so, I'm talking about Jerry Lankford, you hear me? We're so willing to justify our actions sometimes and make excuses for them. He willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, said, I want you to know, to note this, and I'm not going to bring it up, but I want you to note at the end of this 
parable. Jesus didn't tell him who his neighbor was. He, he, he told him who the, the neighbor, who the other fellow's neighbor was. If you'll read it, you'll understand what I'm trying to say. That he said, who then? Who then was a neighbor? The guy to help, that was the neighbor, okay? Not the one in trouble in this parable. But read it. Take it and read it for yourself. And he gives this parable and said, answered him and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, I like that. Not a Samaritan, but a certain Samaritan. You know, it's certain Christians out there that does what God wants them to do. Certain. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an end, and took care of him. All night, set up with him, took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took two pence and gave it to the host and said, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou Likewise, you know, asking the right questions and hearing the right answers is not always what counts. What counts is doing it. And that's what Jesus said. I, I'm going to talk about this parable, and, I, and you already know that in Jesus' teaching here, who is the one that helped, the one that done right? This Good Samaritan lesson is to teach us many things, but especially the act of helping people, helping people. So you, you see if God lives in us when we get through. There's evidence. Let's look at all the characters in this, but let's look first at the first character, Luke 10, starting with verse 30. And Jesus answered, said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. He's the victim. They saw him. They robbed him, they beat him, they stripped him, and they took what he had. See, that's what the devil does. It's what he does to everybody. He'd like to do it to you, 
But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And there'll be more for us than there'll be for them. So we can live victorious lives. But there's a multitude out there that doesn't have what we have. And they need our help. 1 thing about this man, it tells about us that he was going down from, the, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was going in the wrong direction, okay? Jerusalem is the holy city. Jericho is the accursed city. When you look at this world, it's going in the wrong direction. It's going down. It's not coming up. I hear these, some of these so-called preachers talk about things are going to get so better that we're going to enter into the millennial reign. But I'll tell you, that's not what Peter said. He said things shall wax worse and worse. And we see that it's, wax, it's waxing worse and worse. Satan come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I'm going to tell you something. We ought to be happy people. But we, but we concentrate too much on our own problems and not on the problems of others. I don't know how to explain this, but I remember I was passing in Calera and I went through a period of time that I didn't even have a problem. Didn't think I did anyway. Didn't know about it, so I wasn't worried about anything. And then I got worried about not having a problem. And I said, God, and I was working real hard in the church. We doing what I was doing everything I knew to do. And I said, God, why is it that I don't have these problems? I mean, all these things that used to come my way. And God said, as long as you're working on other people's problems, I'll take care of your problems. Come on. That's the way it works, and we need to realize that today. Oh, hallelujah. I'm sorry, but you might got about another four to five minutes in me. People's going the wrong way, and sad to say, some Christians are. Verse 31. By chance there came a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now you know who the priest represents. He represents preachers. Pastors in our day and time. He's supposed to be the leader of the flock. He's supposed to be the example. The example. All we got them doing today, not all, forgive me for saying that, but many we got today, all they want is money. I heard one bragging one time about what? All he had and what kind of car he was driving, I thought, yeah, and some poor widow woman sent in most of her Social Security to help you buy it. I'm going to tell you something. We're not here for money. God ain't called preachers to, to gain wealth. You hear me? He called us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and encourage the congregation to do what Jesus tells us to do. And to be an example. 
in the story of the little boy, it was the pastor who picked him up in his arms and said, we're going to go inside and we're going to see if God lives here. But in the case of the priest, he just passed by on the other side. No doubt he had his excuses. He had his reasons. Boy, he may have had a meeting that he had to go to and he probably... The devil probably gave him a thousand things in his mind that was more important, but let me tell you with everything in me, there's nothing more important than a lost, hurting soul. You hear me? Nothing, not anything in this church is worth more or worthy of more, come on, than the lost soul, winning that soul to Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're going to find out if God's in you, you're going to have to look on the inside. That's what he, he picked it up and said, we're going to go inside and we're going to see if God's here. It's not the external things in our life that proves that God's in our life. Reach up and grab the pew just a little bit. Because you might need it. But I'm going to tell you something. It ain't your position in church that makes you, makes God living in you. Whether you're a preacher or a teacher or a singer or whatever you do, that's not it. What counts in the eyes of God is how we treat others and what we do about others and how we help others. Positions in church doesn't even determine if we're living for him. We talk a lot about the priest. He may have had pressing business, I said, but I'm going to tell you, nothing is more pressing than souls. I see, too, time, too many of us sometimes get caught up in the, in the Martha syndrome. Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house. And Martha, first thing she done, got out the pots and pans. Come on. I'm going to fix him a good meal. Boy, she got busy. Jesus wasn't there. Glory. Mm. Jesus wasn't there for, for her to feed him. He was there for him to feed them. And Mary sat down at his feet and heard his words and she looked over and she saw that sister of hers wasn't doing what she thought she ought to do. Hello? And so she went over and said, Jesus, don't you care that she's not helping me or doing anything? You know, sometimes the answers of our prayers are not exactly what we expected, Amen. Amen. 
Martha, Martha, Martha. You're so busy. You're so clumbered about so many things. You don't choose the good part. Hello? Do we choose the good part? Mary has chosen the best, and it shall not be taken away from her. Oh, how wonderful. Now, let's go to the Levite. I am heard, and whether you realize it or not. Anything extra I say, it's the Holy Spirit, so you can. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed on the other side. Now, I want to take a little bit different slant. We know the Levite is a group or the tribe where they pick the priests and the high priest from. But, but I want to refer to them today as I see them, the religious people. And we've got so many of them in churches today. They're so religious. Luke 18, 10 through 14. And two went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, a religious man. And the other a publican, a sinner, taxpayer, hated by all. The Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Well, God heard enough, so he just ended that right there, you know. And the publican standing far off would not lift up his as much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, and God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. I got news for you. There's nobody in this church that has to be here for God to be here. Including me and everybody else. See, one can become so religious that not only will they make an attempt not make attempt to help others. But they even think when a person gets in trouble and in the ditch, they deserve it. After all, you know what they said about me two months ago. Only God is punishing them now. I love it. And it's true, they may deserve to be in the ditch, but so do all of us if it wasn't for the grace of God and the mercies of God. That's the only difference between the Levi and the man that failed among the thieves was God's mercy and grace. 
There's something we ought to remember, and I'm all, I just this came to me, and I put it in. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. We do not work, we do not do things to be saved. We work and do things because we are saved. Hello? Your righteousness is not in your works. Your righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Now the first, the next man who comes to the poor soul, we know who he is. Let's see if God lives in him. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he went to him, and he bound up his wounds. He poured in the oil and the wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took two pence and gave to the host and said to him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will, will, will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest I was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, the one that had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Something about that verse, these verses, tells us so much. A certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was Too many times we wait for hurting people to come to us when we need to go to them. There's some things found in this parable. If God is in us, he will take us where people are hurting. We'll look for the lost. And when we see the hurting, if God is in us, we will have compassion. We won't just turn and go the other way. You see, the priest and the Levite had a lost opportunity. They had the opportunity to do something for God. I wonder how many lost opportunities that we have sometimes. God's living in us. The hurting and the loss will mean more to us than we do to ourselves. We forget about ourselves. He set him on his own beast. He walked and let him ride. You know what this is called? Preferring others. Going the second mile. Loving your neighbor more than yourself. God's in you. You'll be willing to spend your own money and not be expecting anything in return. You not only will take care of him, but you'll follow up. Sometimes we do things for people and then we just, whew, I've done my job, I'm gone. 
That's not the way it works. See, if God's in us, we never feel like we've done enough. Then there's one other thing that's not mentioned, but it's just as revealing as if Jesus had put it in his word. The reason Christ used the Samaritan to do what he did is to allow the priest and the Levite to know that they had failed. And not only had they failed, they'd failed miserable. Because you see, to a Jew, a Samaritan was a bad thing. There's Judea, there's Samaria, and there's Galilee. In the Old Testament, they moved all of the people out of Samaria, and Assyria brought in another people. And they started trying to keep the law. The Jews never accepted it. They would not even go through Samaria. They would walk around Samaria. They felt like they'd get their feet dirty. I read after one man that said if they stepped in the footprint of a Samaritan, they would go home and wash their feet. I've seen Pentecostal people that way. You're clean because Jesus made us clean. And that is the only reason. Jesus talking this and saying this, I mean, you know, it's just like, who would ever expect a Samaritan to help a Jew? A Jew has mistreated him so bad. See, God's telling them something else. Regardless of how people treat you, you owe them. Because you owe him. Let that sink just a few minutes. I'm going to close. I got four more pages, but I'm going to say a few things and I'm going to close. The greatest Samaritan. And, you know, we have organizations that's called the Good Samaritan, the Great Samaritan, all because they help and they do things, and I'm black, great, proud that they do. But the greatest and the best Samaritan, symbolically, is Jesus Christ. And one day, he surprised his twelve. He said to his 12, I have need to go through Samaria. I would like to have been about 15 feet away with Peter and just see what Peter had to say about that. And so they went through Samaria. And they come to the city called Sychar, where Jacob swelled. And Jesus sat at Jacob's well, and his disciples went into town to buy some food. Now, why did Jesus go to Samaria? Because here comes a woman walking down the road. 
She wasn't a very good woman. She even claimed she worshiped God in the mountains. And when she approached, Jesus said, give me a drink of water. Then he got talking to her about the living water. Who was this woman? Well, see, Jesus knew who she was, and Jesus knew why he was there. Now, keep this in mind. It started with one. And Jesus said, go call your husband. Which one? <laughs> I've had five. But really, Jesus told her that. He knows all about you. <laughs> he knows everything about us. I, I, Sometimes I get so sick of church rules and people's ideas about things, I, I could throw up. There's people out there that thinks if you had a double marriage, you can't go to heaven. But Jesus disproves all this right here. If you knew who's talking to you, you would ask me of water, and I would give you the living water. You don't have anything to draw with, she said. But we know when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. One of the few times that Jesus said this was in front of this Samaritan woman who had a messed up life, also living with a man. Hello. He that speaketh to thee is he. I am the Messiah. And bless God, we should never forget it. I like what one preacher said. She threw down the water pot and left with the well. Don't you think it's time we throw our water pots down and, and leave with the well? Come on. The well of living water. End the story. No. No, not the end of the story. Go do something for somebody and see what it turns into. She ran into the city and said, come and see a man that's told me all things that I've ever done. And many believed. And many come out of that city. And they said, stay with us at least two days. And he did. And they turned to the woman. We believed on him what you say, but now we also believe on him for what he said. Amen. What he's told us. 
God never, ever quits talking to us. Never, ever. I don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't understand a lot about the Holy Spirit. But this I know, that he is everywhere at all times. And he can be speaking to you while he's speaking to me and speaking to another hundred million people. And we worry about the devil. What I'm trying to say to you today that when you help people, it might be one, but it's going to have an effect on others. Try it. Stand with me, if you will. Well, the musician's coming. I'm going to tell you something. Somewhere in an unexpected place or an unexpected time, you're going to run into a little boy. He may be in the form of an old woman, an old man. He may be living underneath a bridge. He may be a drug addict. He may be just a derelict. He may... I mean, he could be anything. I don't want to just go through things, but I mean, he could be at worst. And you can either look at him as a piece of trash or somebody that don't agree with you or whatever. But I'll tell you this in the name of Jesus. You better look at him as Jesus looks at him. A lost soul that they nailed Christ to the cross to save. And there's not a person in this building today that could not be in the same shape as the worst person out there if Jesus had not come into our life. He's it. He's all. He's everything. The Bible says he went about doing good healing all that were sick and oppressed. That was Jesus. Yes, it was. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus lives in us. And I don't care what anybody says. Jesus said this. The works I do, you do. And greater works will you do because I go to my Father. I don't care what your theology is. I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus never performed a miracle when he was a child. I think there's a movie coming on talking about what all he made the bird, sick bird. No. He went into that river of Jordan and the Holy Ghost came on him. And that's when the miracle started. And he did it for a reason. That we have the Holy Spirit. And if we will get about God's business and forget about ourselves and our problems, we will see some miracles in people's lives. I believe that with all that's in me.
see souls saved. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to come. That's the greatest thing you can receive. If I was laying in bed, a sinner dying with cancer, and I had to take a choice between Jesus and being healed, I'd take Jesus. See, when you take Jesus, all these other things open up to you. He's so wonderful. While they sing, I'm not going to, I'm not one of these guys going to be here 20 minutes begging you to come. I found out a long time, if you have to beg people to get saved, you got to beg them to live, right? Come and give your heart to Jesus. Of course, we don't have a bonanza, but it's just 15 to 12. I really and truly thought I was going to preach about 1230 this morning. So I'm going to tell you, it's been bubbling in me all day. Last night. God's a prayer answering God. Did you know that? There was somebody who had a problem this past week. They told me about it. And I'm just going to pray in the spirit a little while. just happened to look over there at the clock. I was laying down and the Spirit started praying through me. And when he quit, I looked over there and two hours were gone. I'm not saying that bragging. I'm bragging on the Spirit. I'm bragging on the Holy Ghost. Give him a few minutes. He'll give you more. He'll give you more. 